The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. Well, it's commercial-free summertime, and you are bombarded by ads all year long. And I thought we'd take a break and just give you uninterrupted conversations about fixing work with some of the best people I know. Today's guest is Bill Perry. He's the founder of a group called The Innovatus Group, and he was referred to me by one of you, one of the listeners of the show, and described as a Sherpa. That phrase is often overused, but Bill Perry is the real deal. He offers extremely personalized executive development coaching and team training, and the people who work with him rave about their results. Bill comes at his work from the heart. He is plain spoken, he does not use any buzzwords, and he believes in a better you, better teams, better business, and better life. Now, you may be cynical because I'm cynical and that's why you listen to the show, but Bill truly believes that in order to be a good employee, you have to live with integrity. If you want to be a leader, you have to live from the inside out. And when we talk about working human and we talk about leading from the heart, we're often just speaking in buzzwords, but Bill is not. If you're interested in listening to a conversation about consulting and leadership, but listening to someone speak who's authentic and really brings his whole heart to the conversation, I know you're going to enjoy this episode. So sit tight and I'll be right back with more Bill Perry and Let's Fix Work. Work is broken. And so is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is picking up the pieces so you can take control of your career, put yourself first and be your own HR. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, Bill. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. Hi, Lori. Thanks so much for the invitation. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, I love talking to an individual who also lives in the South right now. But before we get started, aren't you in the middle of a move? We tentatively are in the middle of a move. Our house is on the market currently. We're not getting a lot of showings. I live in a fairly rural area, but we are anticipating a change in the next three to four months. Well, I can't wait to hear about how this folds into your story. And only you can tell your story, but you are passionate about fix and work. So why don't you tell us who you are and how you do it? I um, love helping people find the thing that they were created to do, and then helping to create atmospheres that facilitate that coming forth. I love to help leaders create those kinds of atmospheres. And I love what happens when I see people who support their vision experience that kind of freedom and opportunity to be their best. So that's sort of my driving behind the scenes passion. I probably can put it into shorter words than that, but I really love seeing people find what they love to do and then having the opportunity to express that. Well, before we get started talking about some of your theories and methodologies, I am right now interested in career identity. And if you just forgive me for a moment, I would love your take on the way people attach to their careers when it's healthy and when it isn't. Because in my experience, people often over-index on their careers when things are broken at home, or they under-index on their careers when things are broken at work. And so I think we just have an attachment problem. But I don't know. What's your take on all that? 
Well, one of the things that, that I see consistently, and I think this has a lot to do, Lori, with integrity. And when I use that term, not simply talking about, you know, Lori's a very trustworthy person. If she says A, you can count on A. But it's this sense of integrity in the idea that how I do one thing is how I do everything. And if I have the freedom to be my best self at work, chances are I'm going to bring that same person home to my significant other, my spouse, my partner, my children, my pets. And if I have that freedom in those relationships, chances are I'm going to at least offer that to the vision that I serve in my work. And so I think the idea of integrity, living from the inside out, has so much to do with creating those healthy attachments. The places where I see that dysfunctional attachment that you've mentioned tend to be where individuals, leaders, team members don't have the freedom or don't feel the freedom to live that inside-out integrity. Well, that is particularly well said and actually a very interesting take. We've never had anybody use the word integrity on our show like you've used it. So that was really unique and very helpful. As I look through your writing and your website, I was particularly taken with a phrase, a manner that you live by, and it's better you, better team, better business, better life. And so I think that folds really nicely into this conversation around integrity. So can you tell us the story behind that and what it really means? Several years ago, like yourself, I do a good bit of traveling. I spend a lot of time on airplanes. I'm actually a pilot as a hobby and a flight instructor. And so you sit down on the plane, you listen to the safety speech by the flight attendant, you almost become desensitized to it. But one particular phrase kept catching my mind and my attention over and over and over. And it was this idea of in the event of a rapid decompression of the cabin, oxygen masks will drop down from the ceiling. Please put your own mask on first before attempting to serve the individuals next to you. So, you know, they go through that that quickly. And I, I thought, what is it about that that really is gripping my heart somehow. And as I researched that, very simple science, you have about 12 seconds before you lose consciousness in the event of a decompression of the chamber. And if you don't take care of yourself first, then you're not available to the people around you to take care of them. And so that progression for me, better you, take care of yourself first. And that seems selfish, but in my world, it's utterly selfish not to. If I'm not ready and available, then I'm not fully present to you, Lori, in this moment, or fully present to the people that I work with and live with. And so better me, better team. I'm much better to serve the folks that are supporting my dream, my vision, and whose vision I'm supporting and working with. Better business. When the team does well, the business does well. And I think that makes for a better for all of us. That is so well said. And Bill, I think you're at the forefront of a movement where we've exhausted pretty much all we can do in corporate America around old systems, old ways of thinking, old leadership models where the leader clears the path. And I think your return to the self to restore the self so that the leader has the energy to clear the path is right on the money and right where we need to be right now. I wonder, in your opinion, what is the biggest challenge that leaders are facing in order to restore integrity to themselves? Like what's holding leaders back? 
I think that goes back to self-care, Lori. I meet so many leaders who exhaustively give themselves to make their businesses work, make their teams work, and yet they don't afford themselves the dignity of just some very simple practices in self-care. I know for myself, if I don't have a certain period of time in my morning where I'm silent, and I'm an introvert by design, I flex pretty well, but I have to have some time for me. If I don't give myself the dignity of that space in the morning, I am very much unavailable to be present to my wife, my kids, when they have needs, and the people that I'm serving in my consultancy. And so self-care for me is critical for leaders. Simple things like making sure you're not only getting an adequate amount of sleep, good quality sleep. And if you are an introvert, are you giving yourself plenty of space to recharge? If you're an extrovert, are you making social time available to ensure that you're getting your batteries charged there? Self-care for me is an absolute must for leaders who want to have a more highly engaged team and more productivity in their business endeavors. I am struck by this notion of self-care because self-care requires self-awareness. And I've done some writing about this. And at the core of a lack of self-care, I think people aren't paying attention to themselves. And what's the root cause of that? It could be anxiety. It could be consumer debt that they're carrying. And they just feel like they're locked into a certain lifestyle because they have to well, they're a slave to that debt, right? Or they're afraid or they're sick or they're afraid of losing health insurance. I think there's so much going on that happens before the moment of self-care that we're not even plugged in to the idea that we should be getting good quality sleep or that we should be eating nutritious food or we should be moving. What do you think about that? I think you're probably right. And that's one of those areas where building deep, deep trust with your team offering yourself with some level of vulnerability, both to your team and the people around you. For me, that's the best place to start with the self-awareness because then I'm open to hear your feedback. I'm open to hear from the people that are closest to me. You're not really your best self today. Is anything going on? And I think that self-awareness probably begins most easily there. And obviously, as you and I both know, there are some things that you can do to help encourage self-awareness, some things that you can check in on in terms of your own physical feelings in certain situations and that kind of thing. But I think it really starts with creating and offering yourself to a deep vulnerability-based trust relationship so that we can hear from others around us when they see that stuff in us. And I mean, I I get into moments when I lose contact with where I am. And I'm so grateful for the people that are closest to me that'll say, hey, you know, you're firing on all eight cylinders today. Is something going on? And then give myself permission and pause to, oh, whoa, oh, okay. So that argument from last night is still working on me this morning and it's causing me to hold back, pull back and not offer the best that I can to the people that I'm given to serve. I think that's particularly insightful for some individuals and some teams. But I'll tell you a quick story. I have had the pleasure and privilege of seeing Brene Brown speak maybe a 100 times live. It's like I'm chasing Brene Brown from city to city. She's on the main stage. I'm on like some teeny tiny stage in the back of the conference room at 4 o'clock before everybody leaves. But it's still a joy to learn from her. 
And individuals have come to me, whether it's Brene Brown or Simon Sinek or Malcolm Gladwell and said, I loved the message, but I can't go first. I cannot go first in my company. I cannot be the one to be vulnerable. I cannot be the one who steps up and challenges the status quo. I'm working on my micro community of relationships, but I can't break through the 10 or 15 people within my span of control. And corporate is crazy. So do you have any advice for people in small teams or large organizations on how they can bring some of that goodness, bring some of that trust, bring some of that integrity to their work environment when it feels like they can't go first? I think for me, it's small steps of courage. Start with the ones that are absolutely closest to you. I personally don't think you can be super vulnerable with large groups of people. I think it has to happen within the context of very close communities that are built over time. Certainly not moments of expression, but building trust again over an extended period of time. I feel like it has to be very small steps of courage instead of these giant leaps. We want to create that within organizations and amongst our team members, but it's a trickle down or trickle through effect for me and not necessarily a wide open, full on vulnerability. That That's just the way I look at it. I love that. Well, as you think about your services and what you have to offer, I wonder what are some of the biggest challenges you run into with small teams? So often consultants focus on these large enterprise organizations, but small teams have challenges just as important and just as critical as big behemoth companies. So tell me, what do you see with small teams and what are their challenges and how are you solving them? I think the biggest challenge that I run into with small teams is that the leaders tend to wear multiple hats. They're in the weeds of doing the thing that they're passionate about and building around. And at the same time, trying to manage growing vision, increasing opportunity, maintain some level of innovation and creativity. And my hope as I engage with leaders and leadership teams in smaller organizations is to increasingly free just some marginal space, some liminal space for those leaders to get their heart back. Because Lori, what I find is I'll get called into a situation where leaders have been in the thing that they're doing for a while and they've lost passion. They've lost heart for the thing that gave them so much joy at the front, gave them the freedom for creativity and innovation and These guys get in the weeds of the actual business mechanics of this, and they simply lose their heart somewhere. And so my primary mission in those situations is not only to create clarity and alignment for the team itself, but to spend time with those leaders to help them remember and recover what got them into this to begin with so that they they get some passion back. There was a team that I was invited to work with several years ago, very successful business known throughout the Southeast for their particular professional service that they brought to the area. And I met with the four founders, founding principals of the organization, and they said, we need help. We, uh, we've, our team is demoralized. This is a team, Lori that excellent financials, they had no debt after 22 years in business, a team of about 50 folks working together, which to me is just staggering. I just, I don't run into that kind of opportunity that frequently in terms of fiscal health. And at the same time, one of the founding principals sitting across the table 
22 years, known throughout the region for his expertise in uh, litigation in their area of service and called for expert witness opportunity repeatedly. This guy, who's probably at the top of his game by all measures, save one, looked at me and said, I hate my job. And I thought, how is that even possible sitting in what you've created, realizing the reputation, the freedom that you have to make certain decisions because of your fiscal health? How is that even possible? And he had simply lost touch with the passion and the joy that started as a boutique business. He just lost touch with all of that. And so in helping their team, one of my primary hidden agendas became, I just want to hear this guy say one time, no, I kind of love what I'm doing again. So we managed to get back to that after about three years, but it was a pretty rough ride for a while. I am taken by that story because I am in the midst of some of that feeling myself. I have for all intents and purposes, arrived in my career. You know, I'm writing a book and I'm working hard and I've got a thriving business. And yet it's not necessarily what I've expected. And that tension there is called the arrival fallacy. And the arrival fallacy is just that you've arrived and you think it's all going to be laid out in front of you. And it's still hard work. And there's still conflict. There's still disappointment. There's still some tension around what you have to do. It's not perfect. And so I've had to go deep and look within myself and really understand my motivators, my goals, why I'm doing this, why it's important, even though it didn't meet my overinflated expectations. And I just wonder, as a coach myself, I am not a therapist. And so when I speak to my mentor and my coaches, I don't look for therapy and I don't look for that deep spiritual insight that I get from a therapist. And so I have modified my own coaching practice and have entered a line into my contract that says, if I think you need therapy and you don't pursue it, I reserve the right to fire you as a client. And so what I'm getting at is, where do you draw the line with your coaching expertise? You do have some counseling expertise in your background, but where do you send someone to a therapist and where do you continue to stay along with them? Yeah. So, you know, I love the line that you've incorporated into your contract. I try to make it very clear repeatedly in both team engagements and one-on-one engagements that I am not a therapist and the conversations that I'm entering into, I'm not entering into on a therapeutic level. There have been moments in conversations, and I'm sure you've had these as well, when you hit those points and then the challenge becomes sort of managing, particularly in a team setting where it gets a little weird sometimes, but managing that so that it doesn't disrupt the forward progress and the intent of the meeting. But yeah, I've I've had a couple of those occasions where I've had to say, you know, listen, what you're wrestling with right now, I appreciate your vulnerability in sharing what you did, but what you're wrestling right now is not appropriate for this conversation you need some help that I can't offer. And I certainly do not posit myself either as a therapist or an expert. I consider myself more of a Sherpa. I've been through some of these passes and some of these passages, and I've made several trips around the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain. I've fallen a whole bunch. Maybe I can help you find your way there without prescribing it exactly for you. And so 
And that's the way I try to step into those and then step back and let them have their story. And if they need help, I encourage that. But at the end of the day, you have to let people write their own stories and simply recommend and encourage and invite into something different from the outside. Well, that is particularly keen the way you describe that. And I think your experience shows that you've been through it yourself and you've done some introspection. You're at least looking inward and trying to be aware that people bring a whole bevy of challenges to leadership roles. And sometimes these are business challenges and sometimes they're personal challenges that are universal. And sometimes they're unique to the individual and need further exploration in a different way than coaching and consulting. And I just look at my competitors in the marketplace. I read their thought leadership and I read their writing and I think, oh my God, you're playing therapist. And that is just something that has been a, a challenge for me my whole entire life, whether it's within a church or a temple or within the corporate world. So many people try to flex back and forth between expert, coach, and therapist. I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? I do. And that was a challenge, I think, for me early on because of my background. I spent 22 years in vocational ministry before I shifted into the thing eight or nine years ago that I am in now. So at times, it becomes that challenge for me, particularly early on, where I found myself trying to step into that spiritual place. And that's not what my clients hire me for. The conversations may go there and I'm okay going there to a degree. But again, I've lived enough of that life to know my boundaries in terms of therapeutic and not and tend to honor those boundaries to the best of my ability. Wise man, wise man. I think for me though, Lori, it's a challenge because because of my past, I think there's something in me that gets drawn out or draws out those kinds of connections in certain ways. I don't want to over-spiritualize that, but I think there's something because of the, the nature of my gifting, my strengths, my talents, my capacities, whatever word you want to use that tends to draw that out. And so I have to be careful to honor those lines. And it used to be a pretty significant challenge. But I think I've grown. I hope I've grown in the self-awareness that allows me to recognize, hey, we're reaching a place that's not going to be healthy for you. And I don't need to be drawn into this because that'll create a dependency neither one of us is interested in. So Very interesting stuff. Well, I think about all of the employees that you work with, all the leaders, all the teams. And I was struck by one of the statements that I've heard you make. Appreciation is the language of engagement. I'm very passionate about recognition. So can you tell me more about that? Well, I would love to say that that's a wholly proprietary idea for me. I think we both know that's delusional. I have observed and believed for years that simply conveying your appreciation for an individual is the best way to endear myself to their heart and maybe their hearts to mine in relationship and connection. Deeply appreciate the work of Gary Chapman, who's the author of The Five Love Languages. They've actually adapted that particular work for the business environment. He did that with Dr. Paul White a number of years ago. It's called Appreciation in the Workplace. They have such better vocabulary for that whole arena than I do, but I do wholly ascribe to the idea of figuring out in our relationship what communicates value to you. And if I can speak that language, 
your chances of living a better life and experiencing a better you then contribute to our better team, our better business. And there's my tagline. So I just, for me, finding those ways to communicate so critical and sometimes it's pretty messy because I think our language is shift given certain relationships and triggers and that kind of thing. But if we can figure out what makes each other tick in terms of communicating appreciation, gratitude, we can bring out the gold that is hidden in each other. That's particularly astute. And I will make sure we have links in our show notes to both of those books. As we wrap up the conversation, I want to know a couple of things. Number one, what is your love language? My love language. Most of the time, it's words of affirmation. Occasionally, that shifts gears a bit to quality time. By virtue of being an introvert, I'm more drawn to close, intimate, fewer relationships than broader expansive uh, gatherings of people. But I think probably words of affirmation tends to be my my biggest issue. How about you? What What's your language? Well, I have two. My primary one is acts of service. I love acts of service and I like to perform acts of service, but I also like gifts. And I think they're closely related. I think I like an element of doing something for somebody. And I think a gift is a surprise. Yeah. And so I like to be on the receiving end of little tokens of surprise reminders that I matter. And I like to give them out as well. And I married someone identical to me, which is both convenient and also really interesting to see how that happens and how that shakes out. How about you? You're married, correct? Yep. So what is your wife like? Heather's primary language is words of affirmation as well. But it's it's interesting. For years, I felt like acts of service were the thing that I could give her that would really complete her, help her feel appreciated, deeply loved. There was a season in our lives when she was out of the house more than I was. And so I would do things, you know, take care of the dishes, the laundry, making sure meals were ready for the kids as they rolled out of the house in the morning. And her job was consuming just expansive amounts of her time. And I kept thinking, she's got to feel the support here. And yet there was never any acknowledgement, never any real, hey, God, that means so much to me. Thank you. I'm so grateful. I thought, what, what am I missing here? And it turns out that acts of service is lowest on her list. And so all of these things that I'm doing, thinking I'm communicating affection, appreciation, and support, just completely lost in the mix somehow. Yeah, you're just doing your job at that point. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Just doing my role. You know, we, we're one of those couples that just shares whatever needs to happen, happens between right. us. Right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, not, we're not too hung up on gender roles and that kind of thing. We just got to get some stuff done. We want to do it together and that's how our life works. I love it. I love it. Well, I have to tell you, any man that can come over and fix something for me and be like a traditional quote unquote, man, you know, that old gender role. I kind of love that stuff. So my husband came to me handy. And I was like, heck, yeah, you want to build something? You want to fix things? He's going to stain our deck in a week? I'm thrilled. Like, do it. So looks (laughs) like we both ended up where we needed to be. I'm completely the opposite, Lori. I married the female embodiment of Bob Vila somehow. She almost single-handedly redid a house that we bought that was built in 1936. And I simply handed her the tools if she could tell me exactly what she needed. So So funny. It all works out so well. 
Well, tell us if we were interested in learning more about you, your story, your journey, where should we go to find you? Well, number one, I think, uh, I hope I'm pretty vulnerable with a lot of my story via my podcast, which you can find at thebillperryshow.com. Also, uh, on my website, which that link will take you there, there's a connection to have a conversation with me. I'm one of those guys, good, bad, or indifferent, occasionally will offer my cell phone number on my podcast just for people to connect. I want to know how my stories and my ideas are impacting, and I want to hear the other stories. I love to hear how people are engaging with their teams, with each other, that sort of thing. And so that probably isn't a great efficiency of time, but it's how I want to spend my life. Well, you are brave. And for an introvert, you certainly are making some really meaningful connections in the world. So it's been a joy to learn about you and your story and to share your time today, Bill. Thanks for being a guest on Let's Fix Work. Lori, thanks so much again for the invitation. I just want to say one more thing with regard to your investment. Your Twitter feed is stunning. I have so enjoyed your sense of humor and the issues that you are passionate about. And I can tell you've got a heart for bringing marginalized people and people who feel disenfranchised and disillusioned back into a place of dignity. So if I had to do a shout out for you, please let it be. You guys need to follow Lori on Twitter. If you don't, it's a great Twitter feed. That's really thoughtful. Thank you so much. Well, I don't know how to take a compliment. So everybody right after the break, we'll be back with more Let's Fix Work. All executives need to be podcasting. Podcasts are the number one way for executives to create an authentic and trusting relationship with employees and potential customers. That's why my producer, Danny Osment, just did a three-part series on why executives should be podcasting. Want to give your company a brand or a face? Want to connect with current or future employees? Are you interested in pivoting out of your current position and into a new career or personal brand? Well, if you're an executive who is podcast curious, head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives and learn how a podcast builds credibility, how podcasting gives you a leg up against the competition, and how a podcast can power a speaking career and help you write a book. Don't worry about finding the time to listen. Each episode is less than 10 minutes and Danny has put all three episodes in one place. Head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives to listen and find more resources. That's dannyosmond.com forward slash executives. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bill Perry. To find out more about the Innovatus Group and everything that this unique individual is all about, someone I just truly admire, head on over to laurierudeman.com forward slash let's fix work dash 69. While you're on the episode page on my website, you can sign up to receive a wonderful PDF, a document of key takeaways and everything you need to know from the episode that we just talked about. Let's Fix Work was produced by Emerald City Productions and made to sound great by Danny Osmond and his team. I really appreciate how hard he works for me every single week. If you like what you hear, I would love for you to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, and please leave us a five-star review. As always, we're open to your feedback. Well, sort of open. You know how I am. You can reach me at hello at letsfixwork.com. And if there's anybody you think who would make a really great guest, or if you think I should appear on a specific podcast, I would love to hear from you. So feel free to hit me up on email, on Facebook, on Instagram, or just send up some smoke signals and I will find you. 
Now that's all for today and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work. If you're ready to make a real change in your workplace, start today by number one, subscribing to Let's Fix Work on the Apple Podcasts app or iTunes or Stitcher or Android or wherever you listen. Number two, write a five-star rating and review. And number three, share it with a friend, colleague, or coworker who you think would enjoy our episodes.